Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Week 38 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Happy New Year, America. Yes, this is a fresh episode again during this two-week-long national vacation pause. Still lots to talk about. I got a great guest today, former Senator Barbara Boxer of California. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the vote. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right, so 2019 is over. 2020 lies ahead. Talk about a consequential year for America. Think about this for a minute. I mean, president's going to have an impeachment trial. Who knows what that's going to be? I've talked about Nancy Pelosi's strategy. I talk about it with uh, former Senator Boxer, and you'll hear that interview in a few minutes, but... uh, I, for one, think that the strategy is a pretty good one, especially now that you've seen senators have to respond when they go home to questions from their local media, which they often can't avoid. And they're asking them about the fairness of a trial. I mean, they've been been being asked all week and they're going to be asked all next week and then they're going to come back to Washington. And some of them are going to be a little uh, less likely to go along with whatever the president wants. I think we got to start... Uh, making it very clear that the president's a coward, right? He doesn't want to let the people work for him testify. He won't testify. Uh, he never never sat for an interview with, the, with uh, Mueller. Um, and I think, quite frankly, he should testify in this one if he thinks he's done nothing wrong. Come out there and tell us what he meant when he said, do us a favor, though. I mean, Hillary Clinton sat there for 11 hours. So what's this guy uh, worried about? Get up there and do it. Unless you're, you know, too afraid, too terrified terrified Trump. Horrible. But 2020 is going to be an interesting year 
and it's going to be a consequential year. And we're going to have a lot to talk about. We're going to have to stay vigilant. Remember, you don't have to convince every Trump voter. You don't even have to convince 30% of Trump voters. I think if you convince 5% of Trump voters that he's no good for this country, it's over for him. The margins were so tight. He's done nothing to expand his base. You know, they they put all these memes out there, the walk away movement. It's nonsense. They, I think that guy was an actor, the original guy that they used. Um, and I think he got a part in something else and then he was gone. I, th- I think I saw him in The Deuce. I think he, he had a good role in The Deuce and now he's gone uh, on HBO. I, I really, I'm not joking, by the way. <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, it's a, uh, I, although it is funny and, it, it, and the whole walk away movement was a joke. I uh, I went to a thing called Politicon a couple months ago, and they had a booth, the walkaway movement. Nobody was going to the walkaway movement booth, not one person. I didn't see one person go, you know, Donald Trump has made me realize it's time to walk away from the Democratic Party and from progressiveness, you know, being progressive. <laughs> it's like, give me a break. No, Donald Trump has gotten people to walk away from the Republican Party. The problem is not enough of them have yet. But I think that enough of them will that he won't get reelected. And we've got to keep on pushing, right? We've got to call them out, but we can't talk down to them. We've got to learn to talk to people who come from a different, you know, who have a different view of the world than we do. We've got to learn how to talk to them. And while you might not be able to get them to vote for a progressive, for a liberal, whether it be Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, or whoever comes out of the Democratic convention as the nominee, and believe me, I think it's going to the convention. Whoever comes out of the convention as a nominee, I don't know that you're going to get a Trump supporter, somebody who voted for Trump, even the Obama Trump voters, which, you know, we, we, we make so much uh, deal out of these Obama Trump voters. I don't, I just think those are people who vote for change, right? So they might be gettable anyway, or they might be ungettable because they, for some reason, decided that, uh, you know, that they're no longer Democrats. And I don't know how many of them really exist. But I think we get 5% of these Trump voters to question Trump and whether that means they don't vote for Trump at all or they vote for a Democrat. Either way, it helps. And then we've got to do things like uh, Tracy Abrams is working around the country in an excellent cause to to protect the vote, to make sure that people have access to the ballot. And I think that's going to be a critical... I think I think what she's doing is as important as anything any of the major candidates are doing. And I wish that billionaires like Tom Steyer and uh, Mike Bloomberg, and I'm not saying they shouldn't run for president. You know, I want to hear from them, hear what they have to say. But, you know, if they don't win, and and I think it's unlikely that they're going to get the nominee, although it could go to a, tra- I think if it goes to a convention, Bloomberg's still in it. I do. And And Bloomberg has already shown he's willing to put some money into causes like protecting vulnerable Democrats, who took a vote for impeachment uh, in the House. He's, he's put $10 million aside for that. I think that those guys who, who do believe Trump is an existential threat to democracy, as, as do I and as do all progressives, I think, they should put some of that money into protecting the vote, into ending voter suppression across this country. We're working, you know, like in states like Wisconsin, where they just took, you know, a quarter of a million people off the voter registration rolls. You know, how do we get those people back on the rolls and make sure that they vote? You know, work with Stacey Abrams as she goes across this country, you know, working to prevent the, you know, basically what they're, what Republicans are trying to do is discourage people of color and other, 
you know, economic uh, minorities from voting, right? Uh, people who, who, who tend to vote Democratic, they're doing everything they can to make sure, whether they be students or African-Americans or Latinos, people who vote for Democrats, Republicans can't win on the field of ideas. So one of the things they try to do in states like, you know, Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Georgia and Texas, places where the margins are really tight and Republicans have some control, they try to get those uh, the voting laws to favor them. Now, that, that won't work in Pennsylvania anymore because Pennsylvania went completely blue. It, it won't probably won't work in Michigan. Wisconsin split, right? You got a Republican legislature because they gerrymandered it to, you know, to basically they put all the Democrats in a very small part of the state. Democrats for the last couple of years have been getting like 55% of the vote in Wisconsin for the state legislature, but coming away with a third of the seats because the gerrymandering was done in such a way that Democrats can't win a majority right now. Now, Democrats have the governor and the governor is going to have to be involved with the next map. And that's going to be interesting. So we'll see where that goes. But we need Stacey Abrams to succeed. And I think it's important that these multi-billionaires who believe in this threat and who share our worldview, and, and I don't think they're bad people. I don't. I don't think Tom Steyer's a bad guy. I don't think Mike, I, Mike Bloomberg, I think, was a great mayor of the city of New York. I've said that before. And a lot of people have written me and said, hey, come on, stop being nice. to Why? He was a great mayor of the city of New York. I didn't agree with stop and frisk. But, you know, the city ran extremely well when he was there, and they did a lot of progressive things. They reduced its carbon footprint dramatically, and he created opportunity for a lot of people uh, in the city of New York. So yeah, stop and frisk, bad. Didn't like it. Horrible. Uh, let him explain that on the campaign trail. But but more importantly, if he doesn't become the nominee, and even if he is the nominee, the guy's worth $56 billion, you know, throw a couple bucks, uh, Mr. Mayor, into what Stacey Abrams is doing, which I think he's already done. But I, you know, I'd like to see him put, you know, he spent $200 million on ads between him and Steyer over the last month. $200 million to Stacey Abrams would go a long way to protecting the vote and making sure people uh, are, are are not losing the franchise, right? And, and that's important to America. It's important to democracy. It's important to the Republic. And if we're going to beat Trump, you know, we've got to win Wisconsin or Arizona or Atlanta or Georgia or Texas. We've got to win one of these states where it's going to be razor thin. And if people are discouraged from voting, if they're not and, and turned away at the polls, God forbid, on election day, or they need a special ID to vote, then we're gonna we're gonna have a hard time winning because these are gonna be razor thin margins. Trust me. I mean, I think Trump could be beat. I think the Democrats have a lot of paths to winning, uh, including Arizona, including Georgia, maybe even including Texas, depending on who the nominee is. Um, so you know, I think we've got a lot of paths towards victory. We just have to make sure that our votes are protected. And 2020 is going to be all about that. I mean, here we are. Uh, you know, this is coming out uh, today on, on New Year's Eve. Uh, and you'll listen to it on New Year's Eve or you'll listen to it during the week. Uh, you know, the first week of the year here. It's going to be a consequential year. There's a lot going on in this country. We had a rough weekend with those shootings, both, uh, you know, in Texas, at a church, and in New York State in Rockland County, uh, not far from where I am right now, um, in, in, in the home of a rabbi uh, celebrating Hanukkah. Um, you know, the country is on edge. And I think that it's 
going to clear. I think it's going to get bright, America, but I think it could get darker first. I think that the next couple of months, we are going to see real darkness out of this president. I mean, you've seen the way he's tweeted. He's down in Mar a Largo. And look, guys, I don't begrudge the guy going on vacation ever. In fact, I wish he would just stay on vacation and leave us all alone. But he's down there, hate-tweeting towards Nancy Pelosi, spreading lies about San Francisco and New York. And, you know, it, it is a, it's a shame that this is what's going on, that we have a president of the United States that does that, that works that way. You know, he says, oh, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care about impeachment. I don't even feel like I'm being impeached. Meanwhile, you know, he's tweeting up a storm about it. By the way, uh, you think he'd be tweeting up a storm about impeachment if Nancy Pelosi handed Mitch McConnell the articles of impeachment right before the Christmas break, and Mitch McConnell said, we're going to dispose of these pretty quickly on all the Sunday news shows. Instead, every senator is being asked, including you know uh, Kennedy from uh, Louisiana today said, I'm open for witnesses. It could backfire in their face because what if... The president's witnesses don't show up, but the ones we asked for do. So basically what he was saying was the Democrats like Joe Biden would respect a subpoena from the from the Senate. But Mick Mulvaney and this other guy whose name I always forget that works for Mick Mulvaney, who really needs to show up because we all read his emails. Um, They're not going to respect it. The president's not going to respect it, which is, by the way, one of the reasons why he's being impeached, because he's got no respect for the oversight of Congress. Um, You know, they're all being asked these questions. And this is all because of Nancy Pelosi's strategy. Every single one of them has been asked it. And I I said on TV, well, what I said to Carl Rove, um, what if on February 4th, the day of the State of the Union, Nancy Pelosi hands the articles of impeachment to Mitch McConnell, right after Donald Trump hands her the speech. What do you think we'd be talking about uh, on, on on the 10 o'clock news? You know, I'll probably be on some program at 11 o'clock that night. What do you think I'm going to be talking about? you think we'll be talking about what the president proposed in his speech? Or do you think we'll be talking about Nancy Pelosi giving? And you know how you know the Republicans would be like, how dare they besmirch the secretary, the, uh, the uh, State of the Union? How dare they? You know, yeah, that'll last for about a minute. You know, Americans will be like outraged. Nobody's going to be outraged. Nobody nobody cares. <laughs> It'll be fine. There's no besmirch. I mean, you know, up until about 60 years ago, the State of the Union was just delivered via telegram. There was no big pomp and circumstance like we have now, joint session of Congress. That was that was started by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I guess it might have been started earlier, but it, it became a regular thing by FDR during the war. So I don't... I don't uh, I don't know when she's going to give it. I don't know when those articles of impeachment are going to be turned over to the president, but I, I imagine it's going to be at a very uh, inopportune time for the president. I imagine it's going to happen before March, uh, probably before February 4th, but it's going to happen. Uh, and when it does happen, he's going to go berserk, right? No matter what's going on in the world, you know, whether the stock market's doing great or we have a trade deal with China, which I'm still skeptical if we really have. Whatever happens, this guy's going to lose his mind when those impeachment articles are delivered to the Senate. So I think it's great that, you know, we put a little distance between the actual vote, which made him lose his mind, 
and the actual handing over of the impeachment. It's like a it's like a one two hit. Uh, it, it's brilliant, if you ask me. And I talk I talk a little bit about this with uh, Senator Boxer. I, I I've mentioned this now a few times. She's coming up in a few minutes, and I think she shares my sentiment on this. It's a it's a one two punch. And it's going to happen at an inopportune time for this man. And he'll lose his mind. And we'll all be reminded of his crimes again. See, when Democrats are talking about the president's crimes, the president's numbers decline. You know, one of the things I say to Barbara Boxer, and you'll hear this in the interview, what if she's holding them off until the Republican Senate primaries are set, right? So let's say Lindsey Graham or some others, they don't really get that major primary challenger and and the deadlines have passed for filing and now the impeachment articles go to the Senate and now they're worried about their general election how does that change the math for whether or not we have witnesses or how they might even vote to convict on some of these articles right because I look I don't think we're going to get to a point where the president's removed I just don't think that's going to happen I just think there are too many sheep in the Republican Party in the Senate and they are not going to support removal but I do think that we could get to a place where there are 51 or 52 votes to remove. That means four or five Republicans defect. And I don't know that that's good for the president either. In fact, I think that's very bad for the president. I mean, one of the things he's been crowing about the last couple of weeks is how all the Republicans voted to, you know, voted against impeachment. None of them defected. And, you know, of course, he's discounting the one guy who left the party, you know, two months ago or was thrown out of the party. Justin Amash, who may be uh, an impeachment manager, uh, but he's crowing about, oh, none of the Republicans left. Well, hmm, <laughs> some of them left. Justin Amash left. And um, let's see what happens in the Senate. I think there's a couple votes there. There might be a surprise vote there, right? There might be somebody out there who's retiring, like Lamar Alexander, who you know has a conscience, doesn't need a job. I don't think Mitt Romney's crazy about this president. He might split the baby, right? Vote for one of them, not the other one. Who knows? I don't know what her strategy is. And as I said, last week's title of my podcast was Nancy Knows Better, right? Nancy's better at politics. I I still think she's better at politics. And I and quite quite frankly, the week that we've had has made me think that she's even better even better at it than I thought last week. I mean, because we see the way people are talking about this now, and I think it's I think it's amazing. So I'm really excited to see what happens. And we're coming into, you know, we're going to come out of this holiday break. And next week, you know, really like, you know, less than a week from today, everybody's going to be back to work. Everybody's going to be back to to doing what they do, right? Covering politics. The the Congress will be back in Washington. You know, the pace will pick up again. We're in this, this holiday lull. And the Democrats decided to impeach the president right before the holiday lull. Kind of a bad time to launch a new uh, a new product, right? You want to wait till the new year. Well, here we go. Here we go. Oh, there's the there's the podcast title. Here we go. So, all right, I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to bring you my interview with Barbara Boxer. Remember, I'm taking these interviews from my radio show, which is now syndicated coast to coast. And instead of having those nice 21 minute interviews I used to have here, they are two. Uh, interviews are kind of broken up because I got to stay on a network clock. So uh, I'll try to edit it as nicely as I can, uh, but bear with me. Uh, we're working on this stuff, and I uh, hope you enjoy this interview with Bob Boxer. Stay tuned. 
Hey America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Joining me from the West Coast, former senator who represented California for many years in the United States Senator, Barbara Boxer, who came of age in politics in the San Francisco Bay Area. How are you, Senator? I'm very well. Thank you so much. And good for what you're doing. I appreciate it. I've come a long way from the day I drove you into Manhattan <laughs> once when you were out here on Long Island and I made an illegal left turn and the cops did not give me a ticket. So did I say anything? You didn't have to say anything. I was like, I, I, you know, I'm driving <laughs> Senator Barbara Boxer. I've got security issues, and they're like, okay, 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 just park right there. Go, go walk her into the Amtrak station. <laughs> it was, it was a long time ago, and that was a lot. Oh and and as I told you on the phone, you told me while I was driving you in that I needed to buy a hybrid for my next car, and I did. So uh, on your advice, well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, I, I look, I think America is intrigued right now by uh by speaker pelosi's strategy on -hmm. impeachment and i know you grew up with her and i have been saying that she's better at politics than almost anybody in this country so i'm going to trust that she's got a plan Uh, you got a better perspective on her than anybody i would think so what what do you make of what she's doing well first of all i just want to say to to tell your listeners i've known uh, nancy pelosi uh since the 80s and we served in the house of representatives together um, she represented half San Francisco or more, and I represented a piece of San Francisco and parts north. So we fought everything, the AIDS epidemic, the, you know, all of the environmental issues, closing of a military base and reuse of that base. So we have a history. I just want to say that this is, Nancy up until now has been so undervalued and underappreciated. Yeah. And I think she is, Definitely uh, one of the smartest, brightest, and most strategic uh, people I know on the progressive side of of politics. And um, it's in her bones because you probably know her dad was a mayor of Baltimore. Her brother was as well. Um, She grew up in a man's world, and she knows how to deal with mostly men who are in the house. Believe me, when she started with me there, there were hardly any Right. There were 24 out of 435. Wow, wow. He knows how to deal, and, and in, in the best way, in the most honorable way, straightforward, not fearful, and the rest. Having said all that, I think what she did, you know, a lot of people don't understand it. I immediately said it was so right, and I'll tell you why. Um, Trump has been impeached, two articles. Um, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. And those articles are right there. Yep. If Nancy, Speaker Pelosi, had sent them right over, no one would have paid attention to anything because 
McConnell already said the deal is cut. I'm working, you know, with Trump's lawyers. You know, here he is, kind of the foreman of the yeah, uh, the jury, foreman of the jury, working with the uh, defendant. Um, in in any other situation, he'd be thrown off the jury. Yeah. Oh, so now because Speaker Pelosi said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, this is unprecedented." You know, we have had impeachments before, and no majority leader of the Senate ever said anything like that. I mean, literally said the quiet part out loud, right? It's just unbelievable. Out loud and proud. Yep. You know, that whole group, this whole GOP under Trump, the Trump party, I call it. Yeah. It's not the GOP. It's the... It's the Trumpkins. What did I name it? I named it the party of Trump, the hot party. Um, So... They they think they can get away with it because they say all these things out loud. Yeah, and it's crazy. So if she had sent it over, forget about it. We'd be done with this in three days. That'd be it. Now the whole country is riveted. Yeah, is Mitch McConnell saying these things? And is it fair? And now a Senator Murkowski, uh, a moderate, more moderate uh, Republican senator, said, "Gee, I don't feel really comfortable." Now all they need is three. Uh, three uh, Republicans or four Republicans to defect. I think they only need three. Yeah, they'll be able to call witnesses. So let me ask you, do you think that there are other Republican senators? I mean, some of the people are, many of the people are still there. You've only been out of the Senate a short period of time. Do do you think that any of those senators are going to defect and maybe vote with uh, the Democrats, at least on procedural grounds? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say this. You've got, you've got people like Murkowski and Romney, who don't feel comfortable with this right. at all, number one. And then you've got those who are scared to death they may lose, like Collins, like uh, Gardner, uh, to name two. Right. Tillis has a tough race. So it may very well mean that even if they do vote eventually not to say that he's... Uh, removed. He, he should be removed, they still may vote to call witnesses. So... Uh- you know, we'll see. And I, it only takes 51 votes. I've been thinking that maybe she's holding these back so that we get past the filing deadlines for primaries. And then, you know, sometime in March or late February, when that's done, when people are more worried about their general elections than their primaries, she throws that over to the Senate. And now people have to worry about their general election and they have to be more fair because, quite frankly, while I don't think there'll be 67 or 66 votes to remove Anything north of 50 to remove is a real black eye for this president. Yeah, I, I, I you may be right that that's something she thought of. My own opinion is that she's talked to a lot of constitutional lawyers um, that they got her to focus on how unfair McConnell was being. Now, it's true. You read the Constitution. It says, you know, the power, the sole power to impeach lies with the House and the sole power to impeach lies with the Senate, there's very little more except that right. the Chief Justice will preside. But there are rules, and there is precedent. And with imagine, again, if this was a normal uh, court trial, the foreman of the jury saying, oh, that guy's been charged with murder, I'm talking to his lawyer, and there's no difference in the way yeah. he says we should proceed. This is not... Is it cannot stand. So it may have these other electoral consequences, and you may have hit on some that, frankly, I haven't thought about. But I honestly think it's as straightforward as this. People are focused now 
on this trial. They want a fair trial. Remember, 70% of people, according to polls, want witnesses. Yeah. And now the people are taking a look at what has become of the Republican Party, and even Lisa Murkowski, who she's, I don't know, he's called a moderate. She's pretty much a conservative. Yeah. She's, she's a fair person. She's saying, I don't feel good about this. You know, I, I just want to say I was there for the Clinton impeachment. It was horrible. I can't explain how, how horrible it was. Yeah. But it was so dignified. And, and Trent Lott, who was the Senate majority leader, and Tom Daschle, they were joined at the hip in trying to make it fair. Right. As a matter of fact, I realized the other day, I was telling my husband, at the end of the impeachment trial, they gave us a memento, a memento. Wow. I remember the impeachment trial. And I remember, I, I don't remember what it was, if it was a pen or it was, huh. a, I don't remember, but I know they sent us to our office and I threw it down and said, I don't want to I remember. I can't believe they sent me this. <laughs> it was so painful for those of us who were so distressed and disappointed at what had happened. But in any event, it just shows you they became very close. And here you have Schumer and McConnell, and McConnell is is treating Chuck Schumer like he's a pariah. My former boss, and it's driving me nuts. I mean, Chuck Schumer is one of the few people who actually was both in the House for the House Judiciary vote and then in the Senate for the impeachment trial. He knows what happens in these things, and he should be, you know, he should be given some respect, especially considering that it doesn't take much for this to go off the rails. Okay, Senator, I'm going to take a short break, and I'm going to reset, and uh, I'm going to sell some ads, and uh, and then I'll be right back with more with Senator Barbara Box. All right, here is part two. I told you these uh, these cuts are a little rough, so we're working on it. We're getting we're getting better at it. We're getting the the team here is getting better at it. So here's part two of my interview with Senator Barbara Boxer. Let's talk a little 2020. How about it? Okay, that's good. But before we do, since you go on Fox, would you be willing to go on my podcast? Anytime you want, Senator. Anytime you want, I would hap- happily do it. And you, you're going to be on my podcast because I take my radio show and I put it on my podcast too. So, oh, good. The- but the reason I mentioned it is my daughter and I are the only mother-daughter political team who has a podcast. That's awesome. And it's kind of it's fun, and we we open it up with this between the generations views on a bunch of stuff, mostly politics, and then we have guests like you, smart, sharp, great. I'm in whenever you want, whenever you want, you just call me. I am that the number I called you from before is my cell phone. You can call me on it anytime you want. By the way, it's the same cell phone I had when I picked you up and drove you to Manhattan. It's the same number. So it's probably still in your phone. We all live to tell the tale. (laughs) You lived. I mean, it was, you know, I was the crazy driver in New York traffic. (laughs) So, So let's talk 2020 politics. I mean, it's still a wide open race. If you ask me, I, uh, I'm sure you feel the same. Uh, I'd like your thoughts on what's going on. Well, here's what I would say is going on. Nothing that I say is going to be shocking, but I'd like to express it in a very straightforward fashion. To me, this is a very different election than most of them I'm I'm used to, where, you know, people want to fall in love with a candidate, do or die. Yep. This time, they just need to get rid of Donald Trump. Yeah. What's motivating people, it's very different, and so... They're, that's why I think everything's in flux, because they want to make sure that the person they vote for can beat Donald Trump. And I think this is a very, very different situation. My friend, uh, Cory Booker, who I love yep. who I with for many years and who I think is a wonderful candidate, um, 
he says something I don't agree with. He says, uh, beating Donald Trump should not be the ceiling. It should be the floor. Mm. I'm thinking to myself, uh-uh. Yeah. Ceiling. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people listening to your show will disagree with me. I know. I appreciate it. And I don't mind that they may not agree. But I honestly think this guy is so devastating for democracy. Yeah. Freedom. For justice. Uh, standing for racism. Standing for you know, dividing us, standing for separating kids from their parents at the board. I, you know, we could go on. Yeah. Even even going so far as to not only not do anything about climate change, but reverse some of the progress we've made. I mean, the guy's going after light bulbs. I mean, there's nothing better than LED light bulbs. I mean, anybody oh. who changes them is so happy the next month when they get their power bill. It's <laughs> a fortune. He's anti-consumer. And what is this business about flushing 10 times if you have a low flush toilet? This, this guy might, may never, he may never have flushed his own toilet. He might have somebody who flushes the toilet for him, Senator. I, I think don't want to go into the toilet humor, <laughs> but I do want to say. Sorry, I mean, I sometimes go there. It's very wrong with him. And then he said the other day, he said, my re- you found his real reason for being against LED light bulbs. He, they said, he said, oh, it makes me look orange. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your makeup makes you look. I, I will say this: I have Please been, digress. I have been in rooms with Donald Trump in in natural light outside, and he looks orange there too. Just for the record, oh my God. Well, we know from the, well, it, it's not worth going into this. He's taking a wrecking ball to everything yes. he holds here, and I'm not so sure that we can survive another four years. We look, can't. If we have to if we have to, we will. But the point is, we've got to unite. We've got to come together, and we've got to beat him. So. I think the reason it's flexible is people are being very careful. They're not just falling in love and yeah. saying, you know, I, maybe I'll just fall in like. I don't have to fall in love. I, I, so I think that's a big story, which the media started to talk about. And secondly, I do think you've got two lanes, obviously. You've got the pro- everybody's in the progressive lane. So let me let me restate it. Everybody's progressive. Right. And you have the left lane and you have the left of center lane. Right. So various people fit into that lane. And um, the question that, you know, a lot of quote unquote experts, of which I don't think there are any, are debating is if we go left, will we win because we'll get so many people who will be so inspired and so excited and so thrilled? that they'll come out in numbers we never saw, or do we go left of center and pull in the independents and the more moderate Right. That's the big debate. I think that ultimately they're going to go for that centrist left of center candidate. I think it's going to be kind of like a data Bernie, Maria Biden kind of thing. I think that's probably where we're going. I feel that way. I think in that center lane, you've got Biden, you've got Buttigieg, you've got Amy Klobuchar. Yep. You've got Yang, you've got some others, but that's, well, Yang, I can't put in any particular lane. Right. That's kind of where I see it. And the other thing I've seen that's so fascinating, and you may have expounded on this before, but, um, you know, Joe Biden and how he has held on, come what may to this league, about a third of the vote. And I know Joe since, oh, my God. He ran for president the first time in the 80s. I served with him. I know him better than I know most everyone on running. I know most of the people who are running. But, um, you know, I think what people don't get about Joe is that 
he connects with people. He does. And, and, and a lot of people don't get this, a connection. And if you talk to your former boss, uh, who's a great campaigner, Chuck, um, and, and if I told you about my races where I was always going to lose, lose every time I ran, and I ran one four statewide races, I won them. Why did I? I got the independent voters, and I got 14% of Republicans, right. and I got 90% of Democrats. So that, that was, in my state, was purple when I started. It was. It had a Republican governor. I think most of the time you were in the Senate. Yeah, we really did. And so it it was a lot harder. Now that it's bright blue, of course, I'm not running anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now that it's easy, you're you're retired. Yeah. So I think this presidential race is exciting. I think what's going to be very important is who gets the VP slot. Yep. My own view, it should be if we have a white male nominee, don't know that we will. If we do, um, I think it should be a woman of color. Yep. Um and um, if we have a, I guess what, what we have in the field, a woman would be either Klobuchar or Warren, I think they should also reach out and probably pick a man of color. Yeah. We've got to unite the country. We've got to unite the country. And, and Senator, I mean, I, this went too fast. You're too good at this. Uh, and I think I really do appreciate you joining. And I also want to say I appreciate everything you've done to inspire women across this country. I am the father of two daughters. I'm married to a strong woman who's in, in politics as well. And, and you have been an inspiration for many, many years to many, many people. And we all love you for it. Thank you so much for this. It's been a pleasure. All right. Stay where you are. I'll be right back. All right, that was great, by the way. Um, really do appreciate Senator Boxer, former Senator Boxer, um, coming on the show. I, I, it is a true story, though. I did drive her my first year working for Chuck Schumer. Um, she was on Long Island. I lived on Long Island. And I guess her sister or sister-in-law lived in Nassau County somewhere. And uh, I got a call from our deputy chief of, chief of staff, who was Chuck's scheduler, actually, a woman by the name of Heather Heather McLean and um, Heather had used to be had, had worked on Senator Boxer's staff and said, hey, my former boss is in town. Um, she's got to go to Penn Station. Uh, can you give her a ride? And, and I was like, sure. I mean, she's like Senator Boxer. I'm like, sure. I also have a funny story about being on a ferry with her and the ferry wasn't allowed to go into port. It was very funny. Uh, it was with her and Senator Schumer at the time. Um, a couple years later. Uh, so, uh, interesting stuff. Uh, you know, I had a very interesting career working in the Senate. I, I'd still be there quite frankly, if I could afford to be, uh, but, uh, it's, uh, and, and of course, if I wanted to work, uh, 22 hours a day, uh, without any sleep for every single day, except for maybe a week at the end of the year, <laughs> you know, so, which by the way, now that he's in the leadership, you probably don't even get that week. So it's a, uh, it's pretty, it was a pretty intense job, America. You know, you, you see these people, it's a young person's job. I'm not that young anymore. And and, and I, it was awesome working with the best and the brightest and, and really interesting people working on really interesting stuff that we all really cared about. And and back then, you know, the early 2000s, George W. Bush, when I first started working with Chuck, Bill Clinton was president. Um, George W. Bush became president. That was, by the way, part of my conversation with Carl Rove on Fox News last week. Uh, Carl Rove who I, I think should be the one person in America, the one Republican in America, to admit that impeachment was not good for Bill Clinton's party, right? I mean, Karl Rove ran a campaign on restoring honor and integrity to the White House, 
which was all about impeachment, right? All about it. So I said to Carl Rove on national television last week, so if, let's say, Joe Biden wins, he could run on a return to normalcy, and it's almost the same campaign, and he had nothing to say to me. Look up that clip. It's pretty funny. It was the first time I ever debated Carl Rove. I had met Carl Rove many times, but I've never debated him on, on, on the air. So I was pretty happy that they're giving me these big spots, and I thank you, Rudy Giuliani, for that. Raw Story did a top five Giuliani meltdowns of 2019, and I was number one. His meltdown with me was number one. It's good to be number one. And by the way, also number one, we are climbing the podcast charts. Um, thank you so much for listening. And by the way, if you're a first timer to this podcast, hit the uh, follow or subscribe button, whatever you need to click on whatever platform you're on to get this automatically. I really do appreciate it. And, and if you if you like it, leave a message. Uh, or, or leave a review or, or go to my Twitter feed at Christopher Hahn and, and give me a shout out or tweet out the podcast to your friends. Tell a friend we're growing. Uh, we're really coming up the ranks. This was last week was one of my best weeks ever. Um, you know, go figure Christmas week, but I put out fresh content Christmas week and I'm putting out fresh content New Year's week. So hopefully uh, we'll have a similar success story this week. And I really do appreciate you um, telling friends about this because that's the way this is this is picking up. I'm not buying ads or anything. I mean, I'm I look. I'm on in more markets now on my radio show, so people are hearing me and they're hearing me plug the podcast. But I I do appreciate it. And I've been getting a lot of emails from people. If you go to my website christopherhan.com, there is my email address is there uh, for my for a Gmail account I had set up years ago uh, when I first started doing television. And I like to hear good things on that email account because I get a lot of hate email from my Fox, uh, from people who see me on Fox. So I, I hope uh, if you if you like the show, drop me a line. If there's a topic or guest you want to hear from, let me know. We're getting good guests. Uh, I might be having a presidential candidate real soon. Uh, and once I get one, I'll get them all. So they're, they're, a campaign has reached out to me, which is great. Uh, it's a question of whether or not we're going to get it done, uh, which you know we're going to try. And I've been reaching out to all the campaigns and every presidential contender has an open invitation to come on my podcast and my radio show. And my radio show is now on in, in a couple of key states, California, Florida, Wisconsin. These are places you're going to need to compete in, but particularly, you know, Super Tuesday, California. I'm on one of the top progressive radio stations in California. You'll reach your targets there. So, um, Hopefully you'll join me and you'll come on and you'll talk. But you know, before I go, let me just reiterate how important 2020 is. Do not be discouraged, America. We are going to get past this guy this year if we stay diligent. Do not let anything he says or does intimidate you, back you off. Don't let any single poll back you off from working hard. This election is going to be as much about turnout as anything else. Look, the Republicans didn't back off when all the polls said that Trump was going to lose. And by the way, the polls were not wrong. They were within the margin of error and the state polls are always a little off. But even the state polls had him within the margin of error and in some some cases winning uh, in Wisconsin and, and Michigan. Do not be discouraged at any point. You might hear news about voter suppression efforts succeeding. Don't be discouraged. Help people vote. Figure it out. I'll be here with you. We will work on this together. We are going to find a way to get this ugly chapter in our history behind us. It has to happen this year. We have to work together. 
And we have to work hard. And we have to be diligent all year. And we cannot take any vote for granted. And we cannot look down on people who support him. We have to learn how to talk to them and communicate with them. Doesn't mean we got to get them. It doesn't mean we're going to get them. But maybe we get a few of them. Maybe we get a few of them to question this guy. Like I said, you know, that Christianity Today piece uh, last week was very important. More important than people are giving it credit for. Because any crack in that white evangelical community against this guy could be devastating. Even, you know, a small, remember, 77,000 votes in three states. And quite frankly, I think Pennsylvania is gone, right? So now we're talking about 35,000 votes in two states. And, you know, a lot of those votes are white evangelicals. Some of those votes are retirees or people who died. So we don't have to do much to win. We got to get our people out and we got to make sure we educate his people so that they question him. I I believe that this is going to be a triumphant year, but I think it's going to get dark before it gets bright, America. I really do. I think that we're going to go through some stuff, especially in this primary. We might even have an open convention that's going to freak people out. I think it's actually good. Uh, you know, and, and I want you to, to, I want to repeat what I've said. Open convention gives him less time to demonize whoever the, whoever the candidate is. Whoever comes out of that convention, you know, it, it'll take time for him to kind of build up his arsenal of problems. And look, they're going to call whoever it is a socialist, right? I, I said on TV the other night that if Jesus Christ was the Democratic nominee, White evangelicals wouldn't vote for them and Trump would call them. I didn't say white evangelicals wouldn't vote for him, but I wanted to. (laughs) But Trump would call them a socialist. Republicans would call them socialists. They'd say, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, he wants to feed the sick, feed the hungry without even working. Why is he handing out all all that bread and fish? Heal heal the sick? What is he, for national health care? welcome the stranger what about all these what about all the drugs they're bringing into our country i mean that that's what they'd be saying if jesus christ was the nominee so whoever it is i mean i I was on the topic was uh is biden too liberal has biden gone too liberal because the new york times wrote an article about you know iowa might go for biden and and i still think iowa is up for grabs and i think biden is in perfect position in iowa frankly uh but the report was a lot of democrats in iowa are saying they might vote for Biden because, you know, talking to their Republican friends, they say, well, you know, I could vote for Joe Biden. That's a big deal, right? I think Iowa voters want to pick the person who could win. And Iowa voters have been pretty successful at picking winning Democratic candidates over the years. So who knows? But, you know, the topic was he was too liberal. Is he too liberal? Because that's what conservatives are going to start to say, right? Joe Biden, he's got, I said, look, he's got a 45-year record. Judge him on that. You're going to judge him because he raised his hand at something you don't agree with. And then you're not even going to talk about his explanation for the hand raising. (laughs) I mean, give me a break. They're going to call whoever it is too liberal. They're going to try, like if Mike Bloomberg's the nominee, they're going to try to call him a socialist, even though he's better than capitalism than all but nine people on the planet. Think about that. They're going to call Mike Bloomberg a socialist, even though he's better than all but nine other people on the planet at capitalism, the ninth richest man in the world. (laughs) And they'll call him a socialist. Guaranteed, by the way. Guaranteed. He sold out to AOC. That's what they'll say. (laughs) You know, because freshman congresswomen are always the most powerful people in the party. Get ready. 
It's going to be a heck of a year. A heck of a year. Stay true to our values. Let's pick a winner. And then let's fight like hell. All right. It's time for me to remind you as always to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything. Even me, America. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. I'm Chris Hahn, and I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. Happy New Year, and thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.